Consciousness News Podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. How are you doing and what are you doing? How are you doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? I'm good, man. It's We're in it. We're in 2023. I think I said my last Happy New Year today. Yeah, always a good question of when that's going to be. Yeah, it's now-ish. You know, I mean, it's done. You kind of got to feel it out. <laughs> and so yeah. I said my last Happy New Year. Uh, now we're just in the new year. I like it. I'm an optimist. I think there are great things ahead. That's good. Yeah. It's not that I'm unaware of all of the sort of catastrophic forces that are you know kind of edging us towards our own demise yeah you know usually i'm the cynical one and you're the optimist we, we've been, that has tended to be the case we've been yeah. to, we've been through this what happens is that i'm the outer optimist you're the outer cynic but i yeah. think you're just real happy inside and i'm it's like a black pit <clears throat> and in that way we're like the yin and the yang with the dots in yeah. the either side you know what i'm saying yeah, the dots on the other side. You can see it. I bought a hat with the yin and yang on it the other day. <laughs> <laughs> For a man who's lived an extremely West Coast Santa Monica life, that is one of the most Santa Monica things. Yeah, I think. it's That's like great. a cool little like throwback little surfing hat. God bless. I'm you. happy. Thank God you. God bless you, Stephen. Oh, gods. <laughs> <laughs> yes, gods. The optimistic thing that happened to me, kind of over this holiday, was. Every now and again, I have a brainstorm. I have some really great idea. Yeah. And I had one, and I thought, this is it, finally. This is the thing that's going to make me a couple of hundred million dollars. Wow. That's going to fund this show Whoa. in perpetuity. Nice. Going to save journalism. It's a great idea. I can't believe I hadn't thought of it before. All right. You want to hear what it is? Yes, of course I do. Lowercase numbers. Whoa. Got lowercase letters. We got uppercase letters. How come there's only one case for numbers? So you would like start the the string of a set of digits with the uppercase number, and then the rest of them would be lowercase. Yeah, exactly. You could do it that way. That looks really nice. You could also have some numbers be more important than others. Like proper nouns mm-hmm. have an uppercase and then lowercases. So you could have like the value of your house is uppercase front number and lowercase rest of them because it's like a proper number. Wow. What numbers are getting uppercase? Like eight? Like the number eight? Everything. Is large and in charge. You'd have an eight that would be uppercase, the one that you think of now, which is just like a little snowman without a head. The lowercase eight could be like one ball with a tiny little ball on top. Wow. For example, you know, and the one could be like a wilted one or a little baby one or something. Nine. Mm. The options are limitless for nine. It's crazy. Now, the thing is that I'm trying to figure out here is you said this was going to be your $100 million idea, uppercase million. Yes. So I'm not sure how you think you're going to monetize this, but I I have an idea. Let's hear it. Well, first, you got to change hearts and minds. Yes. Yeah. And that's great. We just, you know, you get a couple influencers. That's (laughs) part one. Just... Rounding up the influencers, yeah. Get a bunch of YouTube influencers living in a big house Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. Cameras set up all over the place, yeah. Mm -hmm. Doing crazy skateboard stunts. Uh, They're all just freaking going crazy. And sometimes they're just messing around with numbers, man. But the problem is, is that society has outpaced the hardware that we use to type out these numbers, right? So you've started this movement. And then there you are with the uppercase and lowercase software 
hardware, the keyboard, all of that. And then you're getting your beak wet every time someone uses it. Yeah, it'd be great. Here's the problem okay. that I discovered as I was going through this, is that lowercase numbers already exist, turns out. I feel like I've been taken for a ride. I had been taken for a ride by my own imaginative enthusiasm. Lowercase numbers have been around mm. for a long time. What? Yeah. How? Roman numerals, yeah. you know, uh-huh. that was like the OG versions of the, uppercase The X's letters. and the V's and such? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then long comes Arabic numbers, the numbers we know today. Love them. Yeah, they're great. And when they came along, they were already lowercase and uppercase. They're what was called old style figures. So they look exactly the same Mm -hmm. as the numbers you know, Mm -hmm. but one, two, six, and eight are all above the line. And then three, four, five, seven, and nine all sort of are half on the line and then droop below the line like a G. Oh, you know, I feel like I've seen, I, I, I can picture like old timey numbers written out and stuff. And yes, they. I can totally picture that in my head. You got head. it. They've been living among us silently for all these years. They kind of started to fall out of favor with some changes in printing yeah. and that kind of thing. And then the digital age pretty much squashed them all together. People decided if you're going to do all caps stuff, yeah it's better to have everything in what's considered the uppercase or lining figures style, which is the numbers we know today. So lowercase numbers, eh, they've kind of passed away. Sure, but it's not like the uppercase numbers signified any meaning as opposed to a lowercase number. It was just probably a a, a for looks thing. No, they just, it was just a stylistic thing. I mean, when you see them now, it sort of looks like the lowercase numbers in a line are kind of sagging a little bit. It looks like they're sort of kind of like Los Angeles when it's getting rained mm. away. It's sort of sliding into the ocean of lower text. This idea that innovations come along and you think, here's something that has never existed in the world before. Yeah. Not only is that not true, it had a whole other existence. It lived a whole life and then it went away and, and we don't even talk about it. It got buried by history. And by the advance of technology, modern printing techniques made it sort of unfeasible to uh, do the lowercase numbers. And so, you know, except for some of these crafty, you know, microbrew mm. font people who are starting to bring it back. Like that. For the most part, we're all, uh, we're all lining figures. We're all uppercase number types. And there goes my idea. There it is. It got buried like a two next to a three. Yeah, it's like archaeology, I guess, in a way. You know, these things that you unearth accidentally. It turns out there was this whole secret reality that we didn't even know about. Who would have ever known? I mean, a lot of people, A lot of people knew, yeah. Not me. But now us. And now the listener. The best thing we can hope for now, Mm -hmm. given that my idea of inventing the lowercase number is totally scrapped, is to repackage the lowercase number as a journo's special offering or something Mm. and sort of rediscover it in the same way that people are rediscovering the 90s and flannels are coming back and and weird boxy jeans. Flannels never left, man. Speak for yourself. Flannels never left. That's right. Flannels never left. But- in the spirit of that, we could, you know, repackage the saggy four, you know, the slouchy nine. Fancy the, two. The fancy two. The one that looks kind of like the letter I. There's all kinds of ways to spin it, Stephen. I mean, I think there's still a deal here. You know what the kids are calling sevens these days? What? Susie's. 
Susie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let me grab yeah. a Susie. This is good. Yeah. This is good. I'm telling you, man. We can do something with this. All right. So for 2023, the official journos initiative is we're bringing back the lowercase number. Yeah. We're going to sell them. Yeah. Look for them on street corners everywhere. And what a better year to do so than one that ends in a two and a three. That's right. That's right. You got a handful of uppercase. You got a handful of lowercase. Yeah. It's, it's a melting pot, a numerological melting pot. Sure. So, yeah, Stephen, what we're talking about in the grand scheme of things is just trends of one kind or another. Uppercase numbers, lowercase numbers, these things change with tastes mm -hmm. and with technology, yeah, right? Very much so. The lowercase number of today is the, I don't know, weird digital clock readout of tomorrow. Who can say? Who can say? You know? And they all of a sudden it also introduces the concept of like there's normal numbers and then there's like fancy numbers, right? Yeah, the serif. You know, if you don't know anything about anything, you know how to get a good serif going in there with with your numbers and letters. And I'm things. familiar with the, the term sans serif. I feel like that was just a font, but what is the serif specifically referring to? It's like a little wiggly thing that appears in a lot of letters and then, you know, where like at the end of a capital E, it'll sort of go out. There'll be a little bump out. Oh, that's up a, and down. That's the serif? Mm -hmm. And then like sans serif is just without that. It's just the lines. Well, do you think it has to do with like the seraphim? Are those like angels? So it's like little- a class of angels. Mm -hmm. Angelic little flourishes on the ends of these workaday run-of-the-mill number uh, letters. I think what we're running up against here is the absolute <laughs> delightfulness of your version of things, Stephen, <laughs> against the mere reality of probably it has nothing to do with that. If you don't think it has to do with a choir of angels circling above my head as we think, speak, as I yeah, ponder I mean, I the font? a lot of your decisions are, are <laughs> determined by little angels. I imagine sort of cherubic, very blonde, very blonde, that looks sort of like you, bearded. With a diaper for some reason. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> With a well, I think we know the reason why, Stephen. Why? Because the <laughs> cherubs aren't house trained. They're not house trained. They have to digest their uh, celestial foods, their mana from heaven, just like the rest of us. We Speaking of mana from heaven and weird digestive acts, did you hear, foodie that you are, that the Copenhagen restaurant Noma is closing, I guess, forever? Food lovies need to book their table soon if they want to eat at the best restaurant in the world in Copenhagen as it's set to close at the end of 2024. The Danish eating house Noma has been awarded the world's best restaurant five times in its 20-year history. The chef and owner René Redzepi says he's going to turn it into a gastronomic laboratory dedicated to food innovation. The three Michelin-starred restaurant says it will have occasional openings for dinners but that the meals won't define them anymore. I did hear that. It's an institution that I never had anything to do with, and now it's gone. Did you, having not been there, feel anything about it? No. Did you like to eat? I like, I like to eat. You know, I, I think it's funny because I feel that what I really like to eat are things that are also within my relative sort of price range, right? Like I like to go to like the high end of whatever I can maybe afford. So I guess the truth is I felt nothing. Like I, I would feel more if a Oaxacan place in LA like shut down. 
But you weren't like, oh no, this is gonna spell something negative for the evolution of bizarre foods, or, or I don't know, you know, whatever foodie people tended to sort of worry about. No, no, I mean, I, maybe it's just because it's so far away. Yeah. Tell me more about this. Are people saying this marks the end of not only an era in terms of the institution that was the restaurant, but sort of marks maybe a, a, a turning point for cuisine in general? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they're saying all kinds of things. To back up, uh, Noma is this fine dining restaurant in Copenhagen. Um, been open 20 years. The chef, Rene Redzepi, has become sort of this legend as a maverick of, you know, foraging and creating things with molecular gastronomy and using a lot of locally sourced things, literally from like around where the restaurant is. They'll use insects and, and mosses, and then they do all this crazy stuff where they'll ferment reindeer meats and all of these things. And so it's a whole experience. Uh, a lot of it is presentation-based. You know, look how interesting this thing is on the plate. Mm-hmm. So a few weeks back, Rene Redzepi announces that they're going to close their doors after 20 years. They have 100 employees, and it's hard to pay them all. And the working conditions are terrible. Everybody's working really long hours. So they're going to close the restaurant and shift over to more of a, a food lab mm-hmm. setup where they're working behind closed doors, developing new food technologies, techniques, that's, whatever. That's like, that's funny, right? It's like yeah. the restaurant's so fancy that you can't even eat there anymore. Like we're that's, so fancy, we don't even serve yeah. the food. We're just researching right. food. We'll tell you about it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll tell you about it. That'll be $200. <laughs> the finest dining in the world is a newsletter. <laughs> but they will have pop-ups that'll show up, you know, here, there, and everywhere around the world. As of winter 2024, that's going to be, quote, the last season of Noma, according to the website. So, you know, it's a big upheaval or it's not one at all. This is one of those stories where you don't really know if it means anything. I think most people have your impression of things, which is... I mean, I guess it's a thing. I don't know. I don't eat there. The stories that came out of it fall under kind of a few headings. Mm -hmm. There's the kind of the just the facts one, which is, you know, what most of the stories out there are, which is they're pulling from the website and the press release and kind of reconstituting some other stories. And, you know, Fox News had a version of that, which goes through all the stuff I just told you. But, you know, with Fox, sometimes I like to sort of read the comments and just see what's going on. Get in there. Yeah, get in there. And among other things, you know, people are talking about restaurants in Montana that serve eggs better. And somebody else is like, I used to eat reindeer brains that my mother made for me. I think the most telling thing was this comment, which I feel like says what a lot of people think. Quote, looking at pics online, they serve trendy forged meals, itty bitty postage stamp size servings on a huge plate. Of all kinds of weird stuff. No doubt hugely overpriced. None of it looks like anything I'd want to eat. Swill, dressed up pretty, while the inn people rave about how great it is because it's sustainable forge stuff. I'd rather go to the local mom and pop diner, personally. Hey, you know, right to the point. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea that there's a class thing going on, yeah. you know, there's an in and an out, and that this is something that's just beyond what normal people are into is the takeaway that makes the most sense. Yeah. Also, the existence of this restaurant was a pretty big plot engine in that recent television show, The Bear. And it sounds ridiculous, you know, me saying that now, but that's, that's, that's what I did. And I got the shit kicked out of me. And I separated herbs 
and I shucked oysters and clams and uni. And I cut myself and I got garlic and onions and peppers in my fingernails and in my eyes and my skin was dry and oily at the same time. I had calluses on my fingers from the knives and my stomach was fucked and it was everything. That's right. right. The, bear, the, the menu the me- is another one. In, in, it is, I guess, kind of just worth noting that it's closing down when it seems to be like almost breaking into more mainstream elements of pop culture. Yeah, that's a good point. People are actually watching the kind of behind the scenes kitchen version of that. Mm-hmm. So we do have a relationship with the culture of the kitchen. And yeah. then also you have like Top Chef and all of these shows yeah. that show us what that stuff is like. Would you say that there's something to the back of the house culture around Noma that helps to fuel this stereotypical view of the insane chef, the abusive sort of workplace environments that go into the entire mythos of these highly expensive, highly famous restaurants. Oh, for sure. I think that was the big theme that came up. Like, Rene Redzepi himself said, well, it's unsustainable and working long hours and stuff. But most people didn't get an interview with him. The New York Times ran a big piece. And there was a story in that story about a young chef whose whole job, according to the story, was to produce fruit leather beetles, starting with a thick jam of black fruit and silicone stencils with insect parts carved out. This is a quote from the story. Yep. Anyway, her whole thing was that she had to make like 120 of these things and put each one in a box. And all of these other outlets picked up on that story as an example of like, oh, this is just labor exploitation. Yeah. Noma's been hit by this in previous years and all these other restaurants too. The idea that like, yeah, people are working really hard for the glory of this chef. Rene Redzepi himself said in a 2015 essay like, yeah, I've been pretty bad. It's been pretty tough. And in the story, the New York Times story, someone says, it's a mafia mentality, and he is the Don of yeah. Red Zeppi. No one defies him publicly or privately. And then a Noma spokeswoman responded, that's not something we recognize as accurate. So take it for what it's worth. They didn't think it was quite a mafia Don thing. But yeah, that's the takeaway from these stories is this may really be unsustainable and maybe he's on to something. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, we're just in this crazy place where the market can't support these really expensive things. Or it's not sustainable to do that both from an environmental standpoint and a and a person standpoint. Well, so someone's always got to pick up the bill. And I don't mean that just in terms of the patrons of the restaurant. So in that New York Times piece, a Finnish chef named Kim McCullough, who had worked at Noma for a number of years, that fine dining like diamonds, ballet, and other elite pursuits often has abuse built into it. Continuing, everything luxatarian is built on somebody's back. Somebody has to pay. So, yeah, like anything that gets really, really nice and really, really fancy, at some point, that means there's been some degree of exploitation that's, that's happened, right? And that could be very mild. Like, I mean, everything is exploited to a certain extent in a capitalistic society, but that could be very mild or it could be very serious and it could be connected to the idea that these crazy chefs and the crazy line cooks and everybody in order to maintain that degree of quality that they're putting out into the restaurant it just turns into this like draconian sort of boot camp situation back in the kitchen 
And so maybe the question is the people who are eating there now understanding that a bit more, maybe from shows like The Bear and The Menu, does that also kind of change the public's perception of wanting to go to a restaurant like this? Think about something like foie gras, which used to be the thing on the menu that you knew you've really arrived at a fancy restaurant. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a seriously fancy new restaurant in a major city that is really publicizing the fact that they have foie gras if they even had it. Yeah, I think that's funny because for so long, the focus has been like, is the food being treated nicely? And, then, oh. <laughs> you know, the workers themselves are sort of like a distant second. But now you have people having this conversation over how this stuff is made and how it gets to them, not just the animals or plants or whatever, the environmental impact, but also the people. And I think the real takeaway from the story, or at least how I think it'll affect the larger conversation is part of this thing like you brought up in a previous episode about quiet quitting the idea of how people work now Mm -hmm. and what people really want out of it it's like well if you want to be a hot chef you're willing to sacrifice a lot and make fruit leather beetles for your boss but maybe this is part of this larger trend where we're just going to see different kinds of work come out different kinds of priorities and maybe new restaurant concepts will come out of that who knows yeah it brings up that whole you know question around creative pursuits is like is pain necessary to create something beautiful in an artistic sense yes yeah (laughs) it hurts us to do this right now we got clamps on our nipples but i think that's a that's a that's a big perception right only through pain are truly great things made and so i think i guess it's just an extension of the point you just made is that you might see that being questioned a great deal Right. And maybe the pendulum swung just a bit too far with restaurants like Noma, etc. And so now that, you know, sort of the general zeitgeist is moving back in the other direction, we're going to see that sort of sweep over to who knows, maybe not fancy restaurants anymore. Maybe Like, like we don't know because the f- food culture is so crazy. Like the new, quote, fancy restaurant could be entirely anti-fancy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Gold, the late great food critic here in Los Angeles, he was the one who was looking for those places tucked into shopping centers mm-hmm. and food trucks and those things, saying, like, this is where real cuisine is happening. Yep. This is the real culture of food, and we should look at that stuff. So maybe there's going to be a you know resurgence of interest in, I don't know, food trucks. You might be able to go to a food truck and order reindeer penis. Oh, like, yeah, the Noma food truck would be a sight to behold. And I think there was an idea that you could change the world doing that. You could make a zillion bucks mm-hmm. with these great ideas. Yep. Kind of like I thought we were going to make a zillion bucks yep. with lowercase numbers, but it was a thing that already existed. It, yeah, but maybe they just didn't do it right. Maybe they didn't yeah. have the right type of messaging, PR, or marketing. Yeah, you know, maybe lowercase numbers will also experience a resurgence and you'll be able to buy cool new fonts in mm-hmm. a food truck. Maybe that's the Journos initiative. Maybe that's what we need to understand. We are working ourselves to the bone. So our own labor practices yep. maybe need to be considered. And well, maybe that's the takeaway. Well, I'd like to start first selling fonts as in, in the pop-up or food truck model to kind of test the market, right? Because I don't want to get bogged down in the overhead of having a brick-and-mortar font store. mm Font restaurant, a font restaurant. There you go. Okay, there it is. All right, great. There it is. Great. And then if that worked, great. All of our numbers will be shaped kind of like reindeer penises. Little flourishes at the end. That's right. Serif. Serif. Yes, serif, Stephen. 
Stephen, this has been Journos. Mm-hmm. I'm Brandon R. Reynolds. I'm Stephen Jackson. We'll see you next time. Take care. Journos is produced by Dave Coates. And again, Journos is now available as a service. In fact, we're calling it Journos as a Service. So if your podcast has a question or a mystery that you'd like solved, give us a holler. You can reach us at journos at journos.net.